Welcome to Experience This, where you'll find inspiring examples of customer experience, great stories of customer service, and tips on how to make your customers love you even more. Always upbeat and definitely entertaining, customer retention expert Joey Coleman and social media expert Dan Gingas serve as your hosts for a weekly dose of positive customer experience. So hold on to your headphones, it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss admitting mistakes before your customers notice them, building fans by sharing secret recipes, and revisiting the power of customer evangelism. Reprints, recipes, and re-releases. Oh my! We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Hey, Dan, let's play Name That Episode. Oh, you know I love that game. Yes, I do. All right. Last season, I spoke about an experience I had with my friend Thatcher Wine's company, Juniper Books. Now, I can never forget a name like Thatcher Wine. It's a great name. It's a great name. I remember it. It was episode 101. You know, ladies and gentlemen, it's amazing. My co-host is like the rain man of Experience This episode numbers. Anyway, I know we spoke about the folks at Juniper Books just a few episodes ago, but something happened between recording that episode and the one we're recording now that I wanted to share. Now, as our listeners may remember, Juniper Books has a subscription program called Books Everyone Should Own, which they refer to as BESO, B-E-S-O, Books Everyone Should Own, as in the acronym. It's a series of classic books with refreshed, unique covers that are delivered monthly. Now, I got a subscription for my wife, Barrett, and so each month, she gets a new book in the mail. Now, I don't know if you know this, Joey, but BESO or BESO means kiss in Spanish. Oh, there you go. I did not know that. Maybe Back they mean the it day. pronounced. Maybe they mean to pronounce it beso. I don't know. Anyway, I know that your wife Barrett really enjoys books, so I'm imagining she is enjoying the ongoing surprise of getting a new book every month. You know, she does enjoy books and she loves surprises. And what's interesting to me is that every time she gets a book, I get to see what it is. But to be honest, I don't spend a ton of time looking at it because it's her gift, which is why I was a bit caught off guard when I received the following email from Juniper Books one day. And to be clear, the reason I received this email is because I'm the one who gave the gift. So it's my name on the account intentionally because when I originally gifted her the gift, I didn't want her to get an email about it. I wanted to surprise her. So the subject line of this email said, mistakes were made. And the email reads as follows. Hello, thank you for being a BISO subscriber. We hope you are enjoying your thoughtfully curated and designed collection of classics during these difficult times. We misprinted the recently shipped Don Quixote jacket and wanted to let you know that we will be sending you a replacement jacket in early August. The jacket you currently have has a placeholder text on the front inside flap that we neglected to remove before printing. 
we apologize for this error. For 19 years, we have always stood behind our creations. We always want to make sure our books and jackets are of the finest quality, that they look great on your shelves, feel good in your hands, and that they stand the test of time. When the new jacket arrives, it will be pre-folded, so you will be able to swap out the new jacket for the old one easily. Don't forget that one of the perks of being a member of one of our subscription programs is that you receive free shipping on any domestic orders at juniperbooks.com. Just be sure to sign into your account while shopping and your shipping discount will automatically apply. Our book sets are always great for gifting this summer and for the holidays. Please feel free to reach out to me directly if you have any questions. Thanks again. You know, Joey, fun fact, but Don Quixote is Spanish. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Dan Gingas, social media expert and Spanish translator in this segment. Si, senor. This. Oh anyway, uh, I, know, I know you're probably looking for my comment here, and I could deliver it in Spanish, but I'm going to keep this uh, show in English. Uh, what I love about this is that it's proactive, and they didn't have to wait for somebody to figure out that something was wrong or that there was an error. A lot of companies... Their first instinct is, if we don't say anything, no no one will notice. (laughs) Totally. Totally. And what was cool about this is, to be completely candid, neither I nor my wife had noticed. Like, this mistake could have gone unaddressed for, frankly, quite a long time, if not forever, had we not been alerted to this scenario. So it's a great example of when something goes wrong, be proactive. But here's where I felt they really closed the loop on this. So not long after receiving the first email, I received another email with the subject line, mistakes were fixed. And the email reads as follows. Hello, thank you again for being a BISO subscriber with Juniper Books. I thought I'd follow up on my email of July 8th, alerting you there was an issue with the Don Quixote jacket originally sent in June. The corrected jacket for your edition of Don Quixote should be arriving any day now. Once it does, simply remove the jacket currently on the book and easily replace it with your brand new one. We do apologize for the error. As noted in my email, we will always stand by our product and we want your collection to be perfect. Please let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. You know, I'm reminded here, as I'm sure you were, Joey, of episode 30 in season one. (laughs) If you offered me a million dollars to tell you what we talked about in episode 30, you would get to keep your million dollars. (laughs) Well, just be good, friends. What we talked about was a tweet from the British clothing company ASOS, which ended up... I do remember this. I do remember this. I didn't remember the tweet part. (laughs) Yeah, of course. You blocked that out. I remembered the British clothing company. But yeah, so they uh, had a spelling error on one of their bags, uh, the packages, their clothing. And, you know, I always say most companies would have never noticed the spelling error. The one out of 100 that did would have thrown out the bags, but not ASOS. They ended up tweeting a picture of the error and they called it a limited edition. And their tweet got more than 50,000 likes and however many thousand retweets just because they proactively admitted a mistake. They poked a little fun at themselves and had a little, you know, there was a little self-deprecating. And I think it endeared people to the brand. And look, I wouldn't say this example was quite as playful, but I think it stands to the same reason that 
they noticed the mistake. They're very proud of their product. It wasn't okay with them that it was wrong, regardless of whether it was okay with the customers. And so like you said, at the Coleman family, it probably would have been okay. Nobody even noticed, but it wasn't okay with them. And I think that says a lot about this company. And it says to me that it's the kind of company I want to do business with. Exactly, Dan. And that's the reason why I wanted to tell this story. Not because I'm a big fan of Juniper Books, although I am. Not because, you know, they made this egregious error. They didn't. It was a tiny little thing. But what does it say for someone you're doing business with when they tell you that they've not lived up to their own standards? So often in the world of customer experience, The reason customer experiences go bad is because the companies fail to live up to the experience uh, that their customers are expecting. It's a completely different ballgame and a completely different uh, commitment to excellence when as a brand you say, you know what? We already sent out the product. You have it. No one's going to be injured by this. This isn't a product defect that we need to do a recall on. This is a cosmetic thing at best and probably something that less than 5% of customers would ever even notice. And yet for the folks at Juniper Books, that was not acceptable. They wanted to deliver the same standard that they had for the last 19 years. And, you know, what's great about this, they used the apology email to restate their brand commitment to excellence. In the apology email, as you may recall, they kind of referenced that free shipping perk of membership. So it's not really an upsell. It's more of a reminder that like, hey, you have this perk of being a member that you might've forgotten about it. So, hey, if you want to take advantage of the perk, go ahead and do it. The tone was personal. It was honest. It was sincere. And they delivered the fix, you know, the newly printed jacket as planned, on schedule, as promised. Yeah. And if you're listening to the show, which obviously, if you can hear my voice right now, you clearly are, I would ask you to think about how would your company react to a mistake? Oh, be careful here, Dan. A lot of people are feeling self-conscious right now. Uh, no kidding. They probably should be. people. Yeah, because they're like, uh, my company would do nothing like this. Right. And, and then you should ask yourself why. But also, I mean, let's run through the options here really fast, Joey. So we could do nothing. And then what's going to happen? Well, as you said, 5% of our customers are going to call up. So we're going to spend some call center time handling their calls. We're going to have to do something for them, either refund their money, or maybe we print up a few extra jackets and we send it to them. And then they'll be happy and satisfied. And then maybe three months later, someone finally gets to reading Don Quixote, because it's not a small book, friends. And they then realize what the other people realized earlier. So then they call in and we hope to have printed enough extra covers that we have some to send to them because God forbid one of the other customers shares what had happened to them. They want to treat be treated the same. This is a problem that never ends. Right. And we have to stock these covers forever totally. and all that stuff. Instead, we spent a little bit more money now, maybe a lot more money now, and we sent the cover to everyone. But in the meantime, what we did is we made fans out of our customers and we got them 
telling their friends about us, talking about us, appreciating us more. I guarantee you, if you look at business metrics, like uh, how many of their customers stay on the subscription program, those will be extended. The, the, the tenure will be extended. More people will recommend them to their friends. A couple people who host podcasts will talk about... Oh, wait. That's well, yeah, exactly. And that's the crazy thing. Like, as I said in the previous segment, when we talked about the folks at Juniper Books, you know, Thatcher Wine is a friend of mine. Like, I'm a big fan of their brand. I'm a big fan of their company. He has no idea we're talking about this on the show right now because I intentionally have not reached out to him. And instead, I'm just going to share the episode with him when it comes out because here's the secret, friends. And anybody who works in customer experience knows this, but I bet you're frustrated because your boss and your boss's boss don't necessarily get this. It is incredibly difficult to directly draw ROI to this kind of activity because the return on this investment of doing the right thing probably doesn't happen next month. It probably doesn't happen next quarter. It may happen weeks from now or months from now or years from now. And, you know, even talking about this story makes me think, gosh, it's been a while since I've sent someone a gift from Juniper Books. I should go do that, right? So there are huge opportunities here. So what can we learn from this great example as set by Thatcher Wine and his team at Juniper Books? Well, friends, mistakes are going to happen. Even if you've been in business for almost two decades doing the same thing, the occasional error will slip through the cracks. How you respond not only shows how much you prioritize and care about your customers, but it's an indicator of whether you'll still be in business 20 years from now, which I think is going to be the case for Juniper Books. If you're listening to our show and love books like we do, make sure to go over and show the fine folks at Juniper Books some love. You can find the Books Everyone Should Own subscription series and lots of other beautifully designed books at juniperbooks.com. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. As our loyal listeners know, Dan, you were previously the Senior Director of Global Social Media for McDonald's. And I came across something recently and thought to myself, self, I bet Dan will be able to share a unique perspective on this situation. You know, friends, it's okay to talk to yourself. It's not okay to answer yourself. <laughs> so true. So true. All right. I'm getting nervous here because, you know, our, 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 our listeners probably also know that uh, working at McDonald's was not my favorite experience in my whole life. Uh, so what do you got for me? But the fries are great. Okay. Well, I think you're actually going to like this one, Dan. So here's the scoop. Recently, a young woman who worked for Chick-fil-A made a TikTok video about a secret menu hack. Now, in whoa, making whoa, 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 whoa. Did the words TikTok video just come out of your mouth, Joey? Uh, yes, they did, my friend. Yes, and, they did. You know, wait, does this mean that you're on TikTok? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely. Not. I got a long streak of not being on social media that I have to uphold. I am not on TikTok, but I heard about this story because of how it connects to customer and employee experience. And I went to track down more details. And in doing so, I learned this. Anna, who's a 19-year-old Chick-fil-A employee, had just finished her shift one day. And afterwards, she got into the car and 
got on TikTok and shared a secret hack that would allow customers to order the seasonal mango passion tea lemonade year round. And she also shared with a way that you could get a large for four cents cheaper than the regular sized drink. So here's a little clip of what she said. Okay, so I work at Chick-fil-A, so I'm here to give you all the tips and tricks on secret menu items, um, how to get things cheaper, and just all that, okay? And this is only a part one. Let me start off with the seasonal drinks. Um, okay, <laughs> someone's watching me record this. Wow, okay, anyways, um, so I'm gonna start with the seasonal drinks. So right now we have a mango passion tea, uh, basically the large, it's not really a large. So what you're gonna order is you're gonna order an Arnold Palmer, which is a tea and lemonade mixture, and you're gonna ask for four pumps of mango. By doing that, you literally get double the mango passion tea for literally the same price. You can kind of see it here, but an Arnold Palmer is $2.69 and a large mango passion tea is $2.65. It's the same price. In part two, I'll tell you guys about secret frosted beverages. All right, so this is interesting. Uh, you know, she points out the the kind of price difference and kind of remixing some of the drinks. And it's always nice to see a employee get excited about where they work and want to share that with others. And, you know, there's this hack culture that people seem to be glomming onto where if we can just, you know, if we can find a way to hack something, it it's fun. So I'm guessing though that, I don't know, things maybe got out of hand a little bit. Otherwise, I'm not quite sure why you're sharing this just yet. Well, as usual, Dan, you're absolutely right. So this little TikTok video went viral. And while I'm not sure how many people saw it right away, estimates are that it has been seen by millions of people. It's received over 300,000 hearts, which I guess is like the TikTok version of likes, and has almost a thousand comments at the time we're recording this. Well, you cannot buy that type of engagement on social media. So Chick-fil-A must have been thrilled. Now, you would think that's the case. But sadly, that wasn't the case. Anna's boss wasn't as thrilled as you or I might have been. In fact, she posted a second video to TikTok less than a week after the first video with some music playing. And the captions, while you're hearing this music in the background, relate her experience of making the video, becoming TikTok famous and being super excited about it when the video goes viral, and then receiving a call from her boss to turn in her uniform because she was fired. Oh, no. Oh, no. They didn't. <laughs> yes, they did. And I'll bet that second video went viral, too. Oh, my friend, did it indeed. To this date, it's estimated to have been seen by millions and millions of people with over 250,000 hearts and over 1,500 comments. So it actually has more comments than the first video. The second video has attracted more attention than the first one did. Okay, so you're right. I have a couple of things to say about this. <laughs> I had a feeling I have an opinion about this. And let's be candid. As a general rule, Chick-fil-A usually gets the customer experience right. Like people rave about how friendly the Chick-fil-A employees are and how they come out in line at the drive-thru to take care of you. And everybody seems to always have a smile on their face and be thank yous left and right. Like most people usually don't have a bad experience with the staff at Chick-fil-A. 
Yeah, and I think the story here is actually not about Chick-fil-A. I agree. Let's take a step back and let's talk about secret menu items. Because this is actually a thing across the fast food and fast casual industry. And I did get to hear a lot about this at McDonald's because I was working in social media. So I got to see all sorts of stuff. By the way, Joey, the things people do in a McDonald's. Oh, my <laughs> Well, the things they anyway, do in any of the, any fast food or fast casual restaurant. Yeah, well, like, I, I agree with you. That's a story for another day. But one of the things that I figured out really quickly was that the people that were sharing menu hacks is really what we called them were some of our biggest fans. And some of these menu hacks were super creative. Some of them were really out there. I, I will never forget there was one. There's two that I remember. There was one guy that ordered a sandwich where he had one bun with every single piece of protein that McDonald's offered. So there was like a fried chicken breast and a hamburger and a McRib and a like sausage <laughs> patty from the McMuffin. It was and, like, meat lovers it was just, so much oh, as opposed to God. the meat lovers pizza. Yeah, it was a heart attack. That doesn't, sound, that doesn't sound good at all. Yeah. And then there was another guy. Uh, that I, this it's one, always a guy. Ladies yes, and gentlemen, it it daughter, it's always a guy. And I don't say that to be sexist. I say that because as a general rule, guys are the weird ones. Yeah, well, so when the when McDonald's installed the kiosks, there was an, an initially a I don't want to say an error, but basically something wrong with the uh, <laughs> a little glitch, and it allowed you to essentially add up to I think thirty of any item on a sandwich. So a guy walked in and he said, "Okay, I want a hamburger." And I'd like 30 patties of beef and I'd like 30 slices of cheese and I'd like 30 pieces of lettuce and 30 tomatoes and 30 squirts of mustard and all this sort of and all of this stuff. And the thing ended up a pretty dang expensive sandwich, but it also they ended up bringing it out to him on like three trays because the sandwich was the so thing big. had to be huge, right? But, but that video went viral. And, you know, there were drink recipes and Starbucks has a huge secret menu. Uh, my favorite, by the way, is the peppermint patty frappuccino. I don't know why they don't put that on the menu because it is awesome. <laughs> well, uh, and you know, I'm not a Starbucks guy, but like In-N-Out Burger is famous for its secret menu. You know, you can order a burger animal style. If you order it protein style, you don't get the bun. It's the gluten-free version. It comes wrapped in lettuce. You know, a lot of these restaurants have these things and it's not a huge deal. Like I understand in this particular scenario, Anna was suggesting something that would quote unquote cause them to lose money. Now, granted, it's four cents. And I don't know about you, but I'd be willing as a business owner to shave four cents off the profit if it meant someone came in and or placed an order that they wouldn't otherwise place. Right. I mean, look, if they, if, if, first of all, I, it's a little more than four cents because I think what she was saying was you get more ingredients for your well, four fair cents. Enough, fair but, enough. But even so, uh, so what's the worst that happens? A billion people come in and order it? Uh, right. I don't exactly. think that's a big, a big problem. So the, the whole idea behind these secret menus or these hacks is that people figure stuff out, right? When I was at Discover and I worked in the rewards area, one of the things I found out is that if there's a way to game the system, people will find it. And so we do the best we can to not allow people to really take advantage. But in this case with this employee and with the case of these special menu items or secret menu items, these are usually people that love your brand. They're not trying to 
screw you over. They are trying to love you more. And so the surprising part about this story was that the company wasn't thrilled that this video went viral and brought a lot of attention to a product offering that they have. Heck, I didn't even know they served Arnold Palmer's at Chick-fil-A. And now I do. You're excited to get one. No, I totally agree with you, Dan. And I think the interesting thing about this is I can understand as a business owner, having an employee that does something that you're less than thrilled about. Like I, I can try to put myself into the shoes of the franchise owner or the manager who's like, oh my gosh, this is bringing more heat than we would have liked. This is causing issues with corporate, et cetera, et cetera, whatever was going on. But to me, that's not a let's fire the employee conversation. That's a, how can we take this enthusiastic, energetic employee who is on a platform that most adults are trying to figure out, let alone actually create viral videos on, and harness her ability and her personality to promote the brand in a way that we are okay with. You know, I mean, most brands have to just accept the fact that they can't control the brand message on social media the same way they can in their, say, print advertising or with their marketing agency. You can't control what customers are going to do. And you really can't even control what employees are going to do. But if an employee is going to do something, don't fire them. Redirect that focus and that energy into something because with the number of followers that she had, you could almost see where she did a weekly show on some type of a behind the scenes story at Chick-fil-A that would have built a huge following. And that's actually what I recommended to McDonald's when we started seeing these secret menu items was let's lean into this. Let's be in on the joke because people are going to love the brand personality for that. Right. And again, I, I can't see a downside. Even I, I sort of get why you know you're saying that it's possible that the boss may not have liked this, but I'm not seeing the business downside. To be honest with you, well, neither am I. I think it's a, it's an old school way of thinking. I mean, and let's be candid: it, were, were these things that big of secrets? I mean, for years, McDonald's talked about their special sauce, right? The secret special sauce, and wasn't it? I mean, you know this better than I do, but wasn't it McDonald's Canada like did something with Twitter where they shared? the recipe to the secret sauce? Yeah. I mean, they shared a, a lot of secrets because they had a program where they basically said to their customers, ask us any question. Nothing's off limits. We'll answer it. And my favorite one of those videos, they showed... Uh, somebody said, why do your sandwiches always look better on TV than they do in real life? Which uh, we've probably all asked that question. And they went behind the scenes of a, a TV commercial shoot and they introduced you to the food, what was his name? What was his title? It was like the- Was it a food uh, artist? It was a food artist. Thank yeah, you, Joey. Yeah. I remember hearing artist. that story from our uh, buddy, mutual friend, Marcus Sheridan, who's famous for the They Ask, You Answer book and methodology, which McDonald's was following. Yes. And this guy had, I remember, a tweezers and was placing the <laughs> sesame seeds on the bun just so. That's right? a job. Uh, so, but- but yeah, I mean, and you know what? That was a successful campaign. And people looked at McDonald's Canada because McDonald's US stubbornly wouldn't do it. But 
McDonald's Canada, they looked at them with more trust. They looked at them as uh, a company that they wanted to do business with more or eat at more because, because they were open and honest. And, and, and so again, if people are going to come in and order off the menu, or if, if you're a retailer and they're going to buy certain products and use them for ways in which they weren't attend, intended, that's okay. You know, it, it, they're still shopping with you. They're spending money with you. And really, as I said at the beginning, these tend to be some of your better customers. So I think the result of firing poor Anna here is that they may have also lost not just an employee, but they may have lost customers. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And now they've got kind of a detractor of a former employee who, interestingly enough, has filmed a third video where she basically goes through the entire menu telling you all the ways to beat the menu. I, I thought you were going to tell me that the third video was she's now working at Popeye's. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, although that would be great. I mean, let me tell you, if you're out there, employ this young woman. She yeah, clearly, go hire her. Like, go hire her. So here's the moral of the story, friends. When you have a super engaged employee, especially one that is early in their career, recognize that mistakes may be made and it's up to you as the employer not to compound these mistakes and instead to guide your employee to harness their talent into ways that allow this employee to express themselves and their excitement for your brand, but ideally in ways that are a little bit more in alignment with your business operations. Not to mention, if you have the opportunity to connect with your most rabid followers and fans, don't miss it. Is it fake or is it fact? The proverbial question, which we're going to answer, or rather our celebrity contestants are going to answer, in the first of three games on our new game show, Experience Points. In Fake or Fact, contestants examine three similar experiences and try to figure out if each experience is real or fake. Every answer they get right is worth 100 points. If they get all three answers correct, they earn another 200 bonus points for a total possible score of 500 points, which converts into a $500 donation to the charity of their choosing, thanks to our great friends at Avtex. All right, Joey, let's show them how this works. All right, good idea, Dan. So with one of our contestants, we talked about subscription programs. You know, those monthly boxes that you can subscribe to get a package to your house every month with a little moment of surprise and delight inside. And we asked, is there a subscription program for bacon? Mm, bacon. <laughs> exactly. I sure hope that one was fact. Well, let me ask, is it fake or is it fact? Well, you're going to have to tune in to Experience Points to find out. Experience Points is the new game show hosted by your friends, Dan Gingas and Joey Coleman, and brought to you by our friends, Avtex. Tune in to the video series and the podcast coming soon. We're excited to give you an overview of an important book you should know about, as well as share some of our favorite passages as part of our next book report. For this week's book report, we wanted to talk about a true friend of the show, an FOJ friend of Joey, an FOD friend of Dan, 
the one and only godfather of customer service, Shep Hyken, my brother from another mother, as we like to call each other. And Shep just recently re-released a book that uh, is called The Cult of the Customer. Now, you may remember that we reviewed his last book, Be Amazing or Go Home, and also The Convenience Revolution in previous episodes. And so when The Cult of the Customer came out, we asked Shep to talk to us a little bit about it, especially this whole idea of re-releasing a book. So here's Shep giving us an overview of The Cult of the Customer. Hello, everybody. It's Shep Hyken here, customer service and experience expert. Very excited that my friends Dan and Joey are allowing me to share some information about my latest book, The Cult of the Customer, create an amazing customer experience that turns satisfied customers into customer evangelists. So uh, the title, that's an interesting title, The Cult of the Customer. By the way, this is an updated and revised edition from a book that I wrote almost 12 years ago. Same title, but updated stats and facts. Unless they were evergreen, we replaced all of it with stats and information that were less than a year or so old. So everything's updated. Got rid of some stories, changed up a few stories. And why is the title The Cult of the Customer? Because that's what the publisher said they wanted the title to be. So what is the cult of the customer? This is actually a cult you want to belong to. So I believe that all customers go through five phases as they go from the beginning of their journey to their final phase, which is one where they're amazed and love the company. So uh, rather than use the word phase, we're actually using the word cult, and I'll explain why in just a few minutes when I read an excerpt from the book. So let's talk about the five cults. By the way, this is for everybody in any organization that deals with customers, and that's everyone, because if you don't have an outside customer, you have an internal customer, and you need to take care of them as well. And also, the book is not meant to be read. It's meant to be used. There's exercises in the back of the book that you can use on and on. The five cults, number one, it's uncertainty. Customers aren't sure what they're getting into. Number two, they get into alignment with the company as they start to do business with them. Number three, they experience what it is you want them to experience. Hopefully, it's good. And when they experience it over and over again, it becomes predictable. Then it's ownership. So you go from uncertainty to alignment to experience to the cult of ownership. And finally, if it's a positive and predictable experience where customers say, I always enjoy doing business with them, that word always in front of anything good to describe you, that means they're in the cult of amazement. That's where you want to be with your customers. I got to be honest, Dan, I'm not sure that prior to our conversation, I have ever thought of a cult as a good thing. I mean, it's it's pretty interesting. You know, cults have kind of a bad rap. But what I love about Shep's description here is this idea of your external and internal customers and paying attention to the changes that a customer is feeling as they navigate through the customer journey with you and what they need at each phase. I particularly like that idea of predictability turning into ownership because I think all too often companies try to jump right to the ownership phase instead of delivering that consistent, predictable experience that actually builds ownership. And I think what's interesting here is while this book may be a little bit older and he's obviously refreshed it and added new stories and new stats, I don't know that this principle of the power of creating a cult of customers has ever been more true than it is today. Yeah, and Shep likes to talk a lot about consistency. 
And I do think that that is a facet of customer experience that is often overlooked. Customers expect things to work every time. Or if you have a certain part of your experience, they expect it to be the same. I mean, it's why people go to certain fast food restaurants because the French fries are the same all the time. And that's what they expect. And so consistency can be a really good thing, obviously, unless it is consistently a bad experience. But he likes to talk about how creating that consistency starts to gain this fandom or or cult, as he likes to, to call it. So one of the things that I love that we do on the show, Joey, I think it's one of the one of my favorite things that we decided to do when we launched the show is that when we highlight books, we don't just do an interview with the author like everybody else does, but we have them do the overview that you just heard. And then we ask them to read us their favorite passage. And so here is Shep Hyken, author of The Call to the Customer, reading his favorite passage from his book. What is the cult of the customer? Well, if you're in business, it's the cult you want to belong to. First things first, there's nothing scary about the word cult. If you stop and think about it, you'll realize you can find the word cult inside words that you already know and use without any problem, like culture and cultivate. Cult comes from the Latin word cultus, which originally meant care or tending. What we're proposing in this book is creating a corporate culture that is so focused on taking care of and tending to employees and customers that the culture itself creates evangelists. Please bear in mind, as you make your way through this book, a cult is nothing more or less than a system of shared belief, interest, or experience. In other words, a group of people with shared agreement about what they will be cultivating together. For example, you may be passionate about bike riding and like to hang out with other cyclists on weekends. Strictly speaking, that's a cult. You may enjoy action hero comic books and attend comic book conventions twice a year. That, too, is a cult. When it comes to business, I'm in a cult, and I hope you are too. It's the cult of the customer. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you come to experience this, to learn about amazing, remarkable experiences, and to learn about Latin words. I love it. As somebody who took four years of Latin in high school, I love that Shep breaks down the Latin where cult comes from. You know, while my passage doesn't have any Latin in it, it does come from a chapter that's all about what the journey looks like from the inside. And so here's my favorite passage. A moment of magic, an above average experience, typically is the result of someone's consistent and patient focus on the complex task of consistently delivering moments of magic to internal customers so they can, in turn, consistently deliver moments of magic to external customers. Believe it, this kind of experience must be modeled internally before it can be delivered on a consistent basis across the organization. Oh my goodness, I love this passage. It so echoes something that I share with audiences all the time, which is we cannot expect our employees to deliver a remarkable customer experience if they don't know what one is, if they have no context for a remarkable experience themselves. And the best way to give your employees a remarkable customer experience context is to deliver remarkable experiences to your employees. So you start it with the employees, you show them by the way you treat them and the way you communicate with them and the way you interact with them 
what remarkable is. And then when you ask them to deliver a remarkable experience to your customers, they understand what's being asked. They're familiar with this. They know what it looks like. They know what it feels like. And as a result, they're able to do it. I totally agree. And you know, the opposite of that is when you walk into a fast food restaurant and the person behind the counter looks at you like you're interrupting their otherwise pleasant day, you know, (laughs) by wanting to place an order. And so when your employees are miserable, they're going to provide a miserable experience to your customers. So it makes all the sense in the world. Now, I conveniently chose a favorite passage from a chapter called What the Journey Looks Like from the Outside. Ooh, an alternative perspective. I like it. So here we go. You make the right promise and you follow through. Specifically, you brand the experience and bring your customers into alignment with that experience. Then you deliver on the promise over and over again. Through this repeated and predictable satisfaction, your customers' confidence increases. Eventually, you develop a network of evangelists who create a community of believers for your organization. Yeah, I said before that Shep likes the word consistency, and that was consistent across both of our favorite passages, is that doing things over and over the right way is going to lead to a better experience. And I talk about something very specific to this when I speak as well, which I think is why we both picked these passages and why they spoke to us, is that when you create remarkable experiences, that ends up your best sales and marketing strategy. And here's why. Because you get people to talk about your brand instead of you having to talk about your brand. Let's face it, Joey. We all know you're awesome, but it sure sounds a lot better when I say you're awesome than when you say you're awesome, right? Oh, so true, brother. And I think you're awesome. Oh, and you know thanks, what I don't think is awesome? Shep Hyken. Oh, we Shep both Hyken think that. is awesome. This book is awesome. Friends, go out and pick up a copy of Shep's book, The Cult of the Customer, on Amazon, at your local indie bookstore, wherever fine books are sold, and learn how to turn your customers into a cult. Wow! Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This! We know there are tons of podcasts to listen to, magazines and books to read, reality TV to watch. We don't take for granted that you've decided to spend some quality time listening to the two of us. We hope you enjoyed our discussions, and if you do, we'd love to hear about it. Come on over to experiencethisshow.com and let us know what segments you enjoyed, what new segments you'd like to hear. This show is all about experience, and we want you to be part of the Experience This Show. Thanks again for your time, and we'll see you next week for more Experience This. This.